0: Have you ever found yourself in a conversation with someone where at some point it becomes incredibly evident that they have thought about the subject at hand long and hard and have a very clear and articulate position on it? Well, if not, you're going to hear it today on this episode of Inbound Agency Journey. Thank you so much for taking this time to be here right now. We are fired up to bring you Michael Rose from Mojo Media Labs. The main subject of this conversation that Michael and Gray have today is around agency culture and really building into your team. I think you're going to absolutely love the insight that Michael has to bring to the table. It's going to help you build a stronger agency and a healthier team, which at the end of the day is going to bring you healthier clients. So without further ado, here we go.
1: Welcome to Inbound Agency Journey. This is the show where inbound agency leaders share the strategies, shortcomings, and successes they've experienced in their journey toward building their dream agency. Now, here are your
2: hosts, Andrew and Gray. I'm your host, Gray McKenzie, and I am very excited to be interviewing Michael Rose, the CEO of Mojo Media Labs and author of ROE Powers ROI, the ultimate way to think and communicate for ridiculous results on the podcast today. Michael, welcome to Inbound Agency Journey.
3: Well, thanks for having me. It's great to talk to you, Gray.
2: Yeah, I'm excited to dig into your story, doing my homework as I was preparing for this interview. Michael, reading a little bit about your journey from a scientist to a teacher to an entrepreneur, could you give us the uh, kind of the career trajectory that's brought you to where you are today with Mojo?
3: Sure. Um, well, I grew up in an entrepreneurial family, so that was always in my blood. Um, however, when I went to college, um, I did a 180 from, from business and, and decided to go medical. And long story short, graduated with a degree in biochemistry and a degree in chemistry, um, took the MCATs, was getting ready to go to medical school, but decided to change, went into research and development uh, at at a ophthalmic pharmaceutical company and did that for a couple years uh, until the e-gene, as I say, the entrepreneurial gene kicked in and and when that did, uh, in the summer of 97, I was incidentally just finishing my first year of law school um, and and decided to start my business. And that business is still around today. It's rocking and rolling, doing very well, uh, very healthy. And um, and then later, I wrote a book on vision. So figure out the trajectory here of how things <laughs> twist and turn and, and, and whatnot. But uh, ultimately... Um, thinking as a scientist, thinking analytically has helped tremendously in the digital world.
2: Right. That makes sense. So I want to get to the book in a minute, but first I'm curious to know, uh, 18 years is a lot longer than a ton of the inbound marketing agencies than most of the agencies <laughs> who we've had on the podcast to this point. So what was, what was the core offering back at that point and what's been the transition to where you are today?
3: Yeah, good question. Um, well, we have a we have a, a, a family of companies, if you will, uh, literally and figuratively, because my wife and I, you know, own them 100% and exclusively manage them with a, an amazing team of people. But uh, the company that I started in '97 is a company called Marketing Candy. Um, it's a print and promotional product company, um, and is uh, is a seven figure business that continues just to continue to do well, and honestly provides lead opportunities to. Uh, the two other businesses, but that's a business I started in '97. In 2007, as a product-based business, I was getting very complacent. Uh, honestly, I was starting to get bored. Um, my my passion was starting to wane. As an entrepreneur, when you start to lose your passion, there's there's problems. And despite the fact that the business was doing well, I couldn't really figure out what was what was going on. So, in that process of some some uh, some deep deep soul searching, uh, came up with a methodology that I call return on energy, ROE, powers ROI. And as a result, I found my personal purpose. Um, And as a result of that, um, I found and spun off a service-based business from Marketing Candy called Mojo Media Labs. So we spun Mojo off in 2007. And from 2007 to 11, we struggled with project work, as most agencies do. But until I found um, the inbound model, or I should say the HubSpot model, Um, From 2012 to 2000, about 18 months, we were in gold status with HubSpot. I found my personal, professional passion anyway um, beyond that just to help people and um, with the book and started to grow the agency in an area that I'm just completely passionate about. Today, we don't do project work. All of our clients on retainer. Um, We have clients going into year two and year three. Client satisfaction as an all-time high, I would say, as is employee satisfaction. So um, it's been a it's been a long journey.
2: Wow, I love that, and uh, I'm obviously seeing the analytical side of you tracking the (laughs) tracking customer satisfaction, employee satisfaction, and the ability to quantify a lot of that stuff can be really powerful in understanding how you're progressing as a company. How are you balancing time before – so one more question before jumping into – because I want to unpack ROE as well and that whole idea. How are you balancing time between trying to run Marketing Candy, if you're still involved there, Mojo Media Labs, you're the author of the book, and then you mentioned uh, Third Company as well. How do you balance – split up that time between those priorities?
3: Yeah, I do a lot of speaking on the ROE side, and we've actually launched a consulting practice around that with a partner um, who has been doing consulting for a lot longer than I have. Um, I know what I'm good at, and I know what I'm not good at, and I try to find people and align ourselves uh, with the people that, that can complement my skill sets and do what I either don't want to do or am not qualified to do, quite frankly. Um, but balancing time is, is certainly an issue um, the, you know, it's, it's prioritizing, uh, making very quick decisions. Um, when they come up, um, I have a, I follow what I call the Eisenhower decision matrix. Um, if you Google that, you'll find some really fascinating articles around the Eisenhower decision matrix. And basically, um, it's how Stephen Covey got his start and how he's built the empire of seven habits on was based on the Eisenhower decision matrix, which is basically, uh, categorizing anything that comes into your life at all your different collection points as urgent and important, urgent, not important, important, not urgent, and then not important, not urgent. And that's qualified as quadrant one, two, three, and four. And uh, so I make my decisions based on that. If something comes across as urgent and important, it gets addressed immediately. Um, But the the non-urgent and important is planning time. It's strategy time, and not just for clients, but for um, your business or your personal life as well. Um, I teach my kids the Eisenhower Decision Matrix and how much time they're spending in quad four, which is play time. It's unwinding time. It's, it's, it's your personal time, but it doesn't necessarily get you to where you want to go. And that's important, but not spending a significant amount of time there is also important. So that, that helps me prioritize my time, and, uh, and there are several tools that I use to help me do that. But mainly having an amazing group of people around you that you can rely on, that are very reliable, and that you can delegate to, and they can delegate to you. Um, is is the key?
2: Great. What are those tools that you use to um, to manage that matrix?
3: <clears throat> yeah, you're, you're gonna you're gonna laugh, but I think simplicity is is key too. So what what I use and what the company uses is Google Mail, Gmail, uh, the GCal. Um, we leverage that to its full extent, or at least I do um, in, in my own life. So using the labeling system in Gmail, once you kind of crack that code and figure out how that works, is will 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 change the way you process information and for me, my inbox is my main collection point. Um, I got a lot of collection points, but that's one of them. Um, but being able to get to main inbox zero every day is, is what I strive to do. I strive to start the day with main inbox zero. Um, and with that, then I go through a process to, to then go to my urgent important, take care of that. I move to my Q3, which is not important, uh, excuse me. Urgent, uh, not important, but urgent. Which is basically mentoring and helping other people achieve their goals. It's then, then that I go into the the, the the planning phase of planning for the company or planning for a client or whatever. But as I prioritize that, I use Gmail and GCal, um, but I also use uh, Todoist. Td, t- excuse me. T o d o i s t, which is a, a really nice um, tool that I have found to help me. Um, kind of keep things organized at, from a task list perspective. And then I love if, then, then that. That's that's fantastic. Um, as well as I am paperless, so I take all my notes on my mini iPad using Notability. Those are just some key key tools that help me kind of stay focused and create clarity
2: in my life. Great. I appreciate you sharing that. That's uh, I, So I first heard about the Eisenhower Decision Matrix during my junior year of college. I was a resident assistant, and we had a guest speaker during RA training. And that was that kind of opened my eyes to this idea of I've got so much on my plate. I thought I had so much on my plate at that point in time. In reality, I didn't, and uh, and that's been powerful. But figuring out the tools has evolved a lot over time. So I always enjoy hearing how other people are managing that. Um, Michael, let's jump into uh, the book that you wrote and just the idea of ROE a little bit. I know that a lot of folks want to hear about the agency, and we can dive more into that, but I'm really curious to know about the book and how that's influenced how you service your, your customers as well.
3: Sure. Um, good question. And, you know, the the book uh, came out of the, the topic of the book, Return on Energy, at returnonenergy.com, came out of kind of, you know, back in 2007, really searching for my. My personal purpose, my personal passion. And I feel that if you can align your personal passion to your professional passion, to your company or the company from which you work at, um, magic can happen. That's getting the right people in the right seats. Uh, at Mojo, we look for fit first, period. We feel like we can train for everything else, the marketing side. But we have to have the right people. And those people have to share our core values as a company. And we have six core values that we make all decisions on at Mojo. We post them on our website. And uh, so culture is is key, absolutely key, and growing a good team of reliable uh, people who are in the right seat. Uh, but getting the right people is what we look for. So we call it fit first. Um, and as a result, you know, we hire on core values. We uh, promote, recruit, retain, sometimes remove based on core values. And so that's really kind of the premise of the book to figure out how to align vision, strategy, and tactics. And we hear a lot of those words every day, but It's really not until you look at them through the lens of return on energy that things start to make sense. We use these words like brainstorming and bouncing ideas off and thinking outside the box, and we really don't know what they mean. But when you put meaning to them and then you pull a group of people around them with the same meaning, it becomes pretty special. And I think it starts internally first. And then when you apply this to your client strategy or your client tactics, it's a pretty special thing. As a matter of fact, an account manager with us the other day mentioned that Campaigns are the tactical implementation of our strategy. I mean, mm-hmm. that was profound. The campaigns that we're developing in social and in, in inbound marketing, particularly using the campaign tool in HubSpot, is the tactical implementation of the strategy that we create for our clients. When we use that terminology with clients, it kind of calms them down, particularly in the onboarding process, because it takes time to create strategy. But we don't believe in selling strategy based on the weight of the document. We believe in selling strategy based on the effectiveness of the campaigns or the tactics that are in that strategy. So, this is applying ROE um, by using these these ter- this terminology to align, um, you know, inputs to outcomes, if you will.
2: Wow, I love that that quote. Campaigns are the tactical implementation of the strategy that you've built
3: yeah I should I guess I should tweet that real quick on Sonia's behalf she she was brilliant at coming up with that so <laughs>
2: that's great man that's awesome and Sonia so she's one of you've have you added some folks recently
3: we have as a matter of fact um, we we're, we're a 14 person team now um, continuing to, to grow um, and Sonia's our account manager and you know, we really took a step back in 2003, we've evolved, or 2013, we've, we've evolved from year to year, and we constantly improve. You know, I really stand for three things, and I think everybody knows this, it's on the chalkboard wall in of my office. Customer and employee satisfaction, you know, improvement and profitability. Those are the my three personal things that I stand for. And with that, you know, we're constantly looking for ways to improve. And I think we're at a point in our business that tweaking makes big Big changes, and to the point where when we started, we had to do big things to make big changes. But now we're kind of at the tweaking point, point. and we te- we tweaked our model pretty drastically uh, in two thousand, starting two thousand fifteen, where we've identified um, eight, uh, excuse me, nine roles within the company to deliver inbound marketing, and you know with that we have fourteen people sitting in nine roles that have clearly defined, or at least we're trying to more clearly define the responsibilities of each role. And you know, we talk about roles and responsibilities like it's one thing, and it's really not. A role has certain responsibilities, and certain responsibilities do not fit in certain roles. So once that clarity is established, I believe people come to work wanting to do an amazing job and they want to leave thinking they contributed to something larger than themselves. And that creates in defining the responsibilities in a single role creates that clarity to where then they can put in their personal passion. And their skill sets, their experience to, to drive the company forward, to include client results forward. So, when we launched the the nine roles in 2015 from a four roles last year, um, then it, it really has made a tremendous change in Q1. We've had uh, quarter over quarter we've grown. Uh, uh, Q4 over Q1 we've grown in all areas to include to include reducing fixed expenses. So I'm really happy with how the teams come together with the clarity and focus of their roles and responsibilities.
2: Right. Congrats on the constant growth. That's obviously a huge metric that any business, any business owner in any industry looks for, and especially in the agency space. Let's talk, so you started to get into a little bit of uh, the ways that things have grown with clients. So here's kind of your opportunity to brag on the services that you're offering for folks. Can you share maybe a specific uh, client success story? And then what we want to dig into from there is also what's the process that's powering that success that you're having?
3: Yeah, you know, the success story in Q1, we just had a staff meeting yesterday morning, is that we had, (laughs) and I hate to put this in a negative term, but you know it, it's it's how we measure things in this particular instance. But we had zero client churn in Q1. And you know, as as other companies are starting to measure, you know, customer churn, we can obviously call it customer retention, but we had zero customer churn in, in Q1. And you know that, that's that's significant because you know sales is not our problem. Um, the processes that we've been able to develop in the sales model has been very, very exciting. And but it's making sure that we're delivering the same experience on the client side after sales that we do on the sales side. So the success story uh, specifically is just zero client churn in Q1. And and that's really important. We just really kind of honestly started measuring that this year. So that, that was a big success story. And I really attribute that to um, the, the new roles and responsibilities. People have their swim lanes. Um, if you can envision a, an Olympic pool, you know we have people... In, you know as a social media specialist as a we have a content manager an email specialist an SEO specialist a designer programmer production manager etc and we feel that the unicorns do not exist in the inbound marketing world um, that you know was pretty much 2012 2011 thinking I think um, we really have to create unique roles that are that people can specialize in and can come into the agency and add immediate value but it doesn't mean that they can't go, within a team environment, experience another lane of some sort, be it if you're in SEO, experience social, or if you're in social, experience content management. So that, that has been, I think, the key driver that has uh, uh, created stability in the client side, but then also I think is going to drive us moving forward by producing better tactical results, i.e. better campaign results and produce better strategy moving forward.
2: Right. The roles that you're describing, Michael, is that are those the titles of the actual roles as social media strategists, SEO specialists, that type of thing?
3: Um, yeah, they are. We have a digital marketing manager, um, we have an account manager, a content manager, an email specialist, a social media specialist, an SEO specialist, a designer who focuses on inbound design, um, a programmer, and then the production manager that kind of keeps you know, in the production manager as an example is the role. But the responsibilities of that role is project management and um, uh, training and development um, and various other responsibilities. But you know, project management, for example, is a responsibility within the production manager role. And when we've created clarity like that in each one of these areas, um, people are coming to work and knowing what's expected of them. I hope more and more each day. Um, we're not where we need to be, but worst, I, think we're, I feel like we're moving in the right direction based on the feedback we're getting and the results we're seeing.
2: Right. That's great. So we've got nine different roles. How are and you, you made the comment about uh, just no unicorns existing at this point in time? So one of the things I'm curious to know about you've you've mentioned processes a couple of times. You're obviously highly process driven. Who is training these nine people? Are they coming in with a set of skills? And I know that you mentioned your training a lot because. The fit first is the most important thing in hiring. So are you and Nicole creating the processes for them to follow? Is it a collaborative effort between you and the person kind of how do those how do these nine different roles get brought up to speed and the processes that you have in place?
3: Sure. I, I wish I could say, you know, A B C, this is how it's happened, but it's been just a, a fit of, of trial and error. Um, Hubspot, for example, provides amazing training and development, or I should say training within the university system and inbound training and HubSpot training and partner training. And there's various other, you know, um, um, agencies out there that, that do the same thing and, and resources. But we, we mojoize it, as we say, you know, um, so how do we take what somebody has developed that works for either them or another agency? But, you know, we're, we're an agency that's highly focused on culture. And, and so how do we mojoize it? How do we take a process and, and test it, try it, uh, before we really, um, kind of improve on it, which is, again, one of those things that we're constantly looking to do. But process development is is really important. Um, I've even looked into ISO 9001 as an agency, um, which would be a huge undertaking, but um, how to continue to processize our business to where then we can look for those repeatable results and, and not just do them for ourselves, but onboard clients faster uh, get clients, you know, in the air. Their inbound marketing program in the air faster, and producing results faster. So we can move on to um, other other services and, and continue to perfect that that process development. and And that's hence the reason for the production manager role. Casey does an amazing job in that area to to keep everybody on track um, with their training or or whatnot uh, to make sure that we're following that.
2: Right. Got it. It's one of those things that is never gonna go away. You're always gonna have to be evolving processes and building those out. So
3: especially if you want to consistently improve. And you know, agencies are getting smarter and faster every day. So how do you not just keep pace with other agencies, but then how do you keep pace with, you know, a client who wants to go from five to eight million? Or we have a client that is at two hundred and two million, they want to go to two hundred twenty eight million in twelve months. So how do we also create our process that we can be more responsive, not just to the urgent and the important, be reactive every day but also be very strategic with the important, not urgent. That's when we can add value to our clients. We can keep pace as the inbound world, the digital world's changing so fast. How can we constantly improve and keep pace at some of the aggressive growth rates that some of our clients have that are expecting?
2: Right. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about maybe, so one of the things that we would like to dig into is what's something that you're struggling with as an agency? And so on the top of that, prioritized list of where you're trying to improve what what's one of those top items
3: um you know i would say onboarding time really um you know some of the clients that we bring on may have the knowledge of inbound marketing but they may not have the infrastructure for inbound marketing so getting a client up to speed fast and managing those expectations in a timely fashion um as to when things will quote unquote go live is really important so um Paul Roatser with PR2020, I think, says it very well, and the difference between drivers and builders and being able to put a ratio of drivers and builders together because <clears throat> we can't just start with builders for 60 days. I mean, there has to be some drivers in in driving, be it visitations, conversions, or customers. and And there's ways to do that. So we're creatively coming up with campaigns that we can stack upon each other at certain levels of time to um, to make sure that we're we're producing outcomes um, as we're putting all the inputs into building a, a foundation of inbound. Now, if they come to us with a foundation of inbound marketing, that's great, but we don't see that very often. So uh, we're having to set very clear expectations in the sales process that until the solid foundation is built, and we don't, and we get away from what we call RAM or random acts of marketing and start to streamline the organization from an inbound foundation perspective, it's that gap in time before we quote-unquote go live with with great campaigns and start stacking campaigns into the point of the condition we find the client. It's that gap in time that we we see the most opportunity, quite frankly, but also what we're struggling to close as quickly as possible.
2: I think you're on the right track there. That's something that I'm hearing a lot, and a lot of folks, I think that's the reason that so many agencies – and even web development shops, anyone else are skipping over the strategic part at the mm-hmm. front because they want to jump into the action and deliver something for the client. And it's hard to take time to sit back and get things in place. Um, because Precisely. And, and,
3: and to, exactly. And, and to take a, a page out of ROE, you know, strategy in search of tactics, you know, is, is, is a waste of uh, time and tactics in search of strategy is a waste of money. That's where random acts of marketing come into play. So, it, 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 takes, it takes some time to educate our clients on the importance of strategy in some cases, but strategy does take time, but we can't just sit around thinking all the time we have to do as well. Right. And that's where handing over ROE powers ROI to our clients, in most cases helps a lot to set those expectations out of the gate.
2: Yeah, that's great that you already have that tool, you've put in that work that's now scalable with an education system to say, here's my whole philosophy, here's the whole philosophy of how I operate and why this is important sure it's a great educational tool at
3: the end of the day though it comes down to the team i mean we just have an amazing group of people in, in mojo and and uh, they're all engaged um there's not one person on the team that that you know we sit back and go are they in the right seat or in, you know in in the right uh, the right person and we have the right people in the right seats and we re- we recruited that way and and now the challenge is going from four to, to nine is to create more internal communications from the, in the team. Uh, external communications, I think we're good at, but creating more of an internal communication structure to where people collaborate, which is one of our core values. But we have an amazing group of people, and, and that's, that's 90% of the battle right there.
2: Right. Michael, what tools are you guys using right now for internal communication and then also with clients?
3: Yeah, that, that's something we struggle with. Um, internal communications, you know, we're... We use a hodgepodge of tools, but the number one tool that we use, honestly, is uh, Teamwork, um, Teamwork Project Management. I think they just call it Teamwork Project now. Um, But Teamwork is our project management system that KC manages, and uh, it's been really helpful um, to to use that to communicate within projects or within campaigns, if you will. Um, We're we're kicking around Yammer. Um, That's kind of getting a slow start, but um, I can see that as an effective tool kind of moving forward. Uh, but creating that communication platform internally is, is really important. But we only have one remote employee. So communication, uh, I think, should be high touch as well. And one of my sayings, and I, I, I preach it, is that because we're high tech doesn't mean we can't be high touch. That doesn't mean just with our clients, but with our internally as well. There's a lot of remote environments. And um, I'm a proponent of that. But in our case, we found that. Um, everyone now is in house. We relocated some people and uh, moved some people around in the event to get everybody in house and I think remote works well if you're if you 're trying to grow perhaps or scale, but when you 're in the building phase, um, when you take out that high touch uh, from a collaboration perspective I think it's 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 a little more difficult, but uh, we found it better to you know stand up and, and walk across the room and talk to somebody is probably the most effective way
2: right. I like that, we just recently switched at Guava Box. We switched from we'd been using HipChat for our mm-hmm. internal communication for a while. Recently switched over to Slack. They're both pretty similar functionality, but that has helped us a lot. Just picking a tool, and I don't know uh, the tool definitely matters. I don't know yet how much the tool matters compared to the fact that just everybody's bought in and says, "Okay, we're committed to taking stuff out of email and um, not as many just random phone calls." Or, um, this is, this is the main communication platform that we're going to use. And that's been really helpful for our agency, um, in figuring that out. So I want to switch gears here a little bit and kind of go back to you personally, what powers your, um, your productivity in the day to day. Can you walk us through what an average morning looks like, Michael?
3: Um, sure. Um. Average morning, right? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, av- average morning, or at least my, my ideal morning, if you will, is to, uh, you know, again, attack the inbox, my main collection point. And when I say main inbox zero, um, it's basically to get my main inbox and Gmail down to zero. And, uh, and I do that as quickly as possible. Um, hopefully within the first, ideally first, you know, 15, 20 minutes of the day. Um, but by doing that, I use the multiple inbox, feature within Gmail, and this, the next phase is to go to the labels follow-up. So I'll follow up with everyone I need to follow up with. And when you follow the Eisenhower Decision Matrix, as you know, you start to find out who's reliable and who's not, who follows up quickly, who doesn't, who you have to label follow-up second time, third time, fourth time. And if it gets to a third or fourth time, it kind of requires a, a conversation that, you know, let's talk about your organization system or your response times or things like that. So I go through all my follow-ups. Um, after that, I attack Q one. You know, I attack the urgent, the important. Um, I think a lot of urgent and important issues in our life evolve out of things that, at one point, started important but not urgent. Um, so, if we really attack the urgent, the important um, right out of the gate, then you know we can hopefully ward off a lot of bigger issues. Um, but after that, I kind of skip Q two. I skip the the second quadrant of dealing with what is not an urgent, not important, not urgent but important, and kind of move to you know, helping and mentoring other people and what they're doing, um, and that's that's sometimes that takes more time than planned. But um, it's really important to invest in people, invest in helping them achieve their goals. And I think that's any manager or leader's uh, responsibility. I think we're lacking management in our business or sorry, lacking mentorship in our businesses. Uh, we like to micromanage, but we don't like to micro mentor. So as a result, we kind of skip that over. Um, I think sometimes. But really the last part and hopefully the bulk of my day is spending on planning, you know, strategy. And if not just for our clients, which I don't manage the clients, but uh, I do manage the business. And it's my responsibility to make sure the business is moving in the right direction. And so I'd like to spend the bulk of my time there. That's where I find myself, my most passionate, um, where I'm most happy when I get to work on, not in the business.
2: Right. That makes sense. How do you balance – What is uh, work-life balance, or however you like to put it? How do you balance uh, having a personal life with also the business responsibilities that you have?
3: Sure. Um, I don't believe in work-life balance. I I don't think it exists. I think it existed before before technology started to ramp up. I think it existed before social media. I think it existed in a time when life life was a little slower. Um, I believe in work-life integration. I think work and life are becoming so one, so integrated, that it's hard to differentiate the two. So as a result, you know, we encourage, you know, people to take care of their personal urgent importance. You know, I mean, if if you have an urgent important at home and you're dealing with no urgent important at work, um, how effective are you going to be at planning? You know, how effective are you going to be at collaborating? Um, You're not. So, you know, life is becoming integrated. And it's not to say that you work all night long at home, but we need to be benevolent enough as leaders, as business owners to provide an environment where it's okay to, you know, work at home or, or, or take to, you know, work at home or to also have um, home during work. So you know if, if your child has a, has a recital or a game or something like that or if we can get you out the door an hour and a half early because you have an hour drive and it cuts that down you know we should make every attempt to, to create a culture and an environment where where people just love to come to every day and so work-life integration is, is what you know I like to focus on for the most part and then how do we create an environment? where people are you know happy to be at and hopefully benefit at home too we're going to kick off um, open book management and q2 of this year where we share the financials with everybody in the company becoming very very transparent and i hope that will uh impact people not just at work but i hope that impacts and makes them financially literate on the on the personal side as well
2: that's an interesting that's something that is becoming more and more um, you're seeing more and more examples of that um and Obviously, buffer is a common example of someone who's led the way on the transparency, especially on the financial side of the business. Mm-hmm. Um, what are so you just mentioned a couple of things. Are those the primary drivers into that decision is uh, financial literacy and just and transparency, or is are there other factors that have gone into that decision?
3: Well, I think you know book management and i'll I'll shamelessly plug an organization that I'm on the board of that I'm super passionate about. Which is called Small Giants, SmallGiants.org, and um, as a result of you know being involved in Small Giants, you know, and meeting Bo Burlingham, uh, you know, Jack Stack with the Great Game of Business, and these people had amazing Im- impact on me and other Small Giants. And you know, as a result, you know, going to Open Book Management, creating more transparency and financial literacy in your company helps people do their jobs better, helps them make better financial decisions. Um, when somebody knows that, you know, fixed expenses are up a, a percent and a half, they know based on their responsibilities within their role how they can impact fixed expenses. And when they start making these smaller decisions every single day, it really starts to add up to where you can set a goal in the company to reduce fixed expenses by X percent. And people will hit that number if they're engaged, if they're passionate about what they're doing, and you've created this environment of, of empowerment. So, you know, one of our core values, a subset of one of our core values is how did I add value today? And the way to add value is to increase expenses, excuse me, increase revenue or decrease expenses. So how can you do that today um, from, from the business management side? So, you know, teaching business management skills to people is, is important because you made a million dollars one year in gross revenue. It doesn't mean the owner took home a million dollars. Um, so a lot of people um, need to understand how the company makes or loses money and then it creates a lot of trust i think through transparency so it's a it's a huge win win on both sides
2: i like that a lot that's something that andrew and i have kicked around for guava box we have not gone there yet but um, very intrigued by the idea so
3: highly recommend it that's I mean, awesome small giants is a great place to start to learn a little bit more about ggob as they say a great game of business um, but uh, it's a, it's a it's a it's the it's really the 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 21st century way to run a business. I mean, to, to open up your, you know, be more transparent uh, with, with your employees. Um, I, I think it's, it's what employees want. They don't know what they maybe want in certain cases, but when you open that up to them, you're going to take engagement up and your culture up a few notches. And that's what we're all hopefully trying to accomplish.
2: Right. Michael, I really appreciate your time and the insight that you shared with us on the podcast today. What's the best way for listeners to connect with you?
3: Sure. Uh, Twitter is uh, rmichaelrose. Um, my uh, LinkedIn is also rmichaelrose. Um, my website is mojomedialabs.com. My personal website is rmichaelrose. Feel free to contact me through those means. And I'm um, happy to answer any questions or help anybody out any way I can. Uh, also reach out through um, um, the Amazon author page is, is a popular source as well, but um, through ROE Powers ROI.
2: Great. Well, we will include all the links that you just mentioned, the resources that we talked about in this show, the link directly to uh, to Amazon to purchase your book in the show notes. And we will talk to you soon, Michael. Thanks again for joining us today. Thank
1: you,
3: Greg. It's been fascinating. Thanks so much.
1: This episode of Inbound Agency Journey is brought to you by Do Inbound, the world's first project and process management tool built specifically for inbound marketing agencies. If you want to learn how to manage, track, and scale your inbound agency with a pre-built and proven system, visit doinbound.com slash journey. Again, that's doinbound, all one word, .com forward slash journey. Now, back to the show.
0: Gray, in this episode, you have a pretty cool conversation um, where we dig into agency culture and you're talking to Michael Rose from Mojo Media Lab. Um... And Michael has obviously done a lot of thinking on the topics that you guys run over. What is your? What were your thoughts when you wrapped up your conversation with Michael?
2: I had a lot of thoughts, Andrew. What's cool about Michael is that he's written a lot of things down. And that was one of the things I shared with him after we got done talking was just kind of a thank you. It's cool that you've written this stuff because the act of writing forces you to condense a lot of your thoughts and think about things. And you can see clearly his... Um, His career trajectory from scientist to teacher to entrepreneur and the analytical side of him obviously plays out in the systems that he's built, the way that he structured his team and the culture and what they're doing at Mojo Media. So the big, I mean, the big things that stuck out to me were how well they've systematized a lot of things that they do and a combination of that and then also his focus on culture and hiring people who are a fit first, a lot of stuff, one of the signs that someone's written a lot too is like how many tweetable lines you might have. And there were a lot of things that were like, okay, this is a one sentence gem that you've obviously thought about before in process. There's too many for this to be an accident. So that was, uh, you know, it's always fun to talk to someone who's who's processed through a lot of things that I'm still learning and working through. Yeah. I
0: also liked he he takes that process side, not only to like tactically, how are we delivering our services, but how are we building our team and how are we structuring our culture? Uh, and that's an area when a lot of agencies that are considering growth are looking at growth and they want to build that agency team uh, to, to consider process in the way you attract and the way you retain and even the way you you get rid of employees. Uh, the, the insight he brought to that, I thought, was pretty insightful.
2: Yeah, for sure. Some of the the systems that he has in place for how he makes decisions and talked about the Eisenhower Decision Matrix, um, talked about the way that he manages kind of his daily to-dos and what are, what are the specific tools that he uses and what's his process for going through that. I thought that that was valuable just to hear and kind of play into, hopefully that'll play into people's workflow and whether they use the same tools or a different one, hopefully that um, just kind of sinks in and infiltrates your brain and um, you know helps you solidify your own process that works for you. Andrew, one of the quotes that stuck out to me talking about the combination of uh, being s- refined technology company but also focused on culture, he talked about that there doesn't have to be a separation between being high-tech and high-touch. And you and I right now, we're kind of kicking around Uh, right now there's an in-person team um, and there's also people who are working remotely which direction are we going to go did anything from this conversation spur any thoughts in your mind about how we accomplish both of those things?
0: I think the takeaway that I had was that in either place uh, you need to think about the people and the creating opportunities for there to be those touch points So if it is a remote team, I think then you just need to – it needs to be a priority for you to create those opportunities where you can uh, just, I don't know, socialize, collaborate, build those personal relationships. Because at the end of the day, we're trying to do way more than just create content, than design websites, than write social media messages. All of those things are secondary to that culture and that environment that you create. And I think if you can create that successful environment, whether it's in-person or it's remote, uh, with strong relationships and, and trust and clear expectation and clear roles as well, that the product that you create, the, the campaigns, the deliverables, the tasks, as they go down the line, uh, that the value in those things is going to be much higher if you pay attention to those uh, uh, more touch elements.
2: Right on. I agree with that. Um, what's cool about Michael too is that he has run so Mojo Media Labs isn't the only business that he has done in the past and that he's currently got going on. So it's cool to talk to someone who's learned lessons in a real environment, kind of his own little playground for what works and what doesn't work. And obviously that's something that we're doing as well where we have guava box, but we're also involved in do inbound, and so we're learning and applying what we know from GuavaBox to do inbound and then learning from the success of how do we scale this SaaS company and how do we build and grow a SaaS company back into, okay, well then how do we help other clients through Box? So that's always fun to talk to people who've had their fingers in uh, in multiple pots. Thank you for listening to Inbound Agency
1: Journey. You can find the show's notes for today's episode at doinbound.com slash podcast. Again, that's doinbound, all one word, dot com, forward slash podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, head over to iTunes to subscribe or leave us a review of the show. Until next time, remember, life is a journey. Keep moving forward.